Gracious God, help us to listen to your word. By your spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to faithfully serve Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 35-49, the resurrection body. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives the body as he determined, and to each kind of seed he gives his own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one of a kind and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. The star differ, and star differ from star in splendor. So it will be the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor and raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of dust of the earth, the second man of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So today we continue our series uh, that started on Easter Sunday, the power of Jesus' resurrection. As the Apostle Paul describes it and its impact in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we started out by looking at Paul's statement of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he, was, he, was, he died and, and he was buried, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead, and he appeared to people. And then we learned that as Christ was raised, so also we will be raised, a bodily resurrection like Jesus, and that our faith in our own resurrection is not in vain. And then we looked at the total triumph that, that this resurrection of the dead will happen in the future, in the end times, the concluding times, when God finally defeats death. Today, the text deepens the, the, the conversation, the consideration, by talking about the resurrected body itself. Now, this probably corresponds to questions that we all have had as we have considered this text in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of our bodies. <clears throat> but before we talk about our imperishable future, I have a question I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and share about, just briefly. And that is, if you could have one capability 
from the prime of your life right now, what would it be? So sometimes we ask, like, if you could have one superhero uh, uh, power, what would that be? We're not even going there. We're saying, what's one thing that you used to be able to do that you would like to be able to do now as well as you used to be able to do it. Or if you find yourself in the prime of life right now and have not yet experienced what it's like to look in the rearview mirror that way, what, what capability do you have right now that you most value? So turn to each other and share what that might be. Sight, speech, strength, hearing, speed. Go for it. We're going to bring it back up here and uh, uh, a little bit shorter of a conversation this week just because of, of where we're at in terms of timing in the service, but, but uh, uh, there were a lot of sounds coming from this congregation as they shared, and, and I'm glad there was a little bit of, of laughter as well because I'm sure we could shed a tear or two, uh, those of us who... who uh, who, who can think of just the fact that, that not every capability or capacity that we have had in our lives, do we have that same capacity? Um, we, as a, as, a, as a church denomination, we actually have a connection uh, with one diagnosis that many of us, as we age, have, this sense of deterioration of our eyesight. Uh, because if you have to use reading glasses or get bifocals, that is true of me, um, there once was a time, for people who are new to the church, you'd think, oh, Kurt's always had glasses. No. Some of you know, that there was a time Kurt didn't have glasses. Some of you remember back far enough when Kurt had hair. <laughs> right? So, and that's, that's only scratching the surface of things. But, but, but the decline of our eyesight in old age is called presbyopia. Rem- remember that the Presbyterian church is based on the Greek word for elder, presbyter. But that's what the Greek word for old is as well. And so if you have old eyes, the condition of old eyes, you have presbyopia. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> well, thank God for Benjamin Franklin, right? Because he had something to, yeah, he had something to do with, with this whole thing of helping us see. Um, okay. So our text today explores this whole concept that we're just scratching the surface of, which is this the idea that we can decline or deteriorate. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? This is a question that arises from both observed and experienced reality. Because we know ourselves, and in biblical times they also were aware of this, that physical things perish. They are perishable. They are subject to decay and to ruin and destruction. If you leave a piece of fruit out on the counter, you will find out what happens to that. It's part of the decomposition cycle in the Earth's biosphere. And first century Greeks studied this, and while they didn't have the benefit of a microscope or molecular science, they made careful notes about stages of decomposition. And they also knew, and the entire population in the ancient world knew full well, that our very own bodies are a part of that cycle. We have perishable, vulnerable bodies 
Not only do, do some food items have a shelf life, we have a shelf life. It's something that, that people in times before our time may have had more of a, of a direct kind of personal scientific exposure to the decomposition of human bodies. Because, because it wasn't something that there was an industry for. It became something that, that everyone had an experience of in their families. And so, kind of an interesting perspective to think about in those biblical times. But if we know that bodies decompose, this is the question that Paul is bringing up, that some might ask the question. How can dead bodies be raised? And if they could be raised, would it be worth anything at all? Scenes of the living dead in zombie movies come to mind. Is that what the Apostle Paul is talking about here? <clears throat> By way of illustration, in our culture, we don't often talk about the reality of the, the decline of life. The, the decomposition of life. One exception to this was in the 2009 Disney Pixar film, Up. The beginning of the film, in just a few minutes, it told the story of the main character, Carl Fredrickson, and, and introduced him to us as a boy. And it takes him from boyhood to being an old man. And at the same time, it set up the context that would help us understand Carl's plan to fly his house with helium balloons to Paradise Falls in South America. Why would he do that? But it does this through a montage of Carl's life with Ellie, his lifelong love. They meet as children and they become best friends. Ultimately, they fall in love and they're married. They buy an old house and fix it up. It's the house that... Carl is planning to fly. They dream of starting a family. We see all of this in this montage without words being spoken. They dream of starting a family, but they suffer a miscarriage. For years, they save up for a trip to Paradise Falls, but the emergent expenses of everyday life, a, a, a ruined tire on their car, a, a broken leg, keep them digging into their, their savings and never making that trip. Before they know it, life has gone by and they've become old. Carl remembers their dream and purchases tickets for a grand adventure, but Ellie's health is now failing. And in this montage, we see that Ellie dies. And the scene ends with Carl alone in a darkened church after her memorial service. The scene is a remarkable portrayal of human vulnerability and perishability as we age throughout life. And in an animated film designed with children in mind, no less. It's a rare scene in a culture that often is preoccupied with the proverbial fountain of youth. We get preoccupied with that, along with a, a natural desire to live life to the fullest. What comes along with that is, is a willing denial of the reality of death. But the Christian faith faces up to death and the losses that increasingly come as we decline physically. 
Well, in response to the obvious question of what kind of body will be raised, the Apostle Paul begins to stretch our minds with science. Illustrations from science, comprehensive from the smallest to the largest things that he could possibly think about. He begins to speak of seeds, the science of plant biology, to the vastness of the universe. You can think of that as astronomy, but you can go even further than that and think of it in cosmological terms. And the key point in what Paul is describing here is this concept of continuity and discontinuity together. To be the same and yet different. So the first lesson is a seed. A seed and the sprouted plant that sprouts from the seed. Paul is making the scientific claim that these have one and the same essence. One and the same essence. The seed has the plantness in it. The plant came from that seed. And yet, they appear very differently. They're in different form, and yet, continuous in essence. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. You don't plant the plant under the ground and have that grow, at least, I guess, for potatoes maybe, but... um, Perhaps of wheat or something else, but God gives it a body, a sprouted existence, as he has determined. Each kind of seed, he gives its own body. And then he talks about how we, we kind of stay in our own domain of essence, right? You don't plant a, a, a mustard seed and a, and a, like, a, an animal or a bird or a fish, which he mentions, that doesn't come up from the ground, There's a a consistency to that. So that's the first lesson, is is for us to, to expand our minds to think about God the Creator's power to take something and have it be the same essence, and that would be you and me, our bodies, but have be transformed into another form, but still of the same essence. If you're scratching your head right now, you should be, because this is an invitation to wonder. The second lesson expands our minds even further, because this takes us into the observed universe, heavenly bodies, and the idea that that the, the, the things that we see especially in the night sky, and the ancient Greeks saw in the night night sky, were spoken of as heavenly bodies. Paul uses that as as a, a quick way of illustration into this body connection. So what do our physical bodies have to do with heavenly bodies, like the sun or the moon or the stars? He explains that that each one has its own splendor. Each one has its own uniqueness from observational science, right? The sun, not looking directly at it, but seeing how the sun and the moon are different. 
And I think it's, it's amazing that we see here a description of verse 41. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from star in splendor. I mean, that preaches, right, in the 21st century. As, as our understanding of the universe expands, we just, it's just a richer metaphor to explore. So there's this sense of a micro lesson. Two different manifestations of the same essence, a seed to a plant. And then you have this macro description of these bodies in the heavens. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, we sing. The resurrected future that we have is beyond our imaginings. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul quoted Isaiah 64, 4, to say this to the Corinthian believers. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has even conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Paul had a mind and a heart that longed for us to expand our mind and heart in our understanding of our relationship with God. So here's where the argument leads us. At the end of our text today, verses 42 through 49, Paul says this. He brings it to a conclusion. He says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. That's us. We all know that. There's no hidden everyone. I'm telling you, they knew it better than us. They knew it better than us. We're the ones who have this crazy idea that we can live this life forever. And that it's a great, that we're the first people to ever experience this as life happens. But the body that is sown is perishable, but when it is raised, it is imperishable. So it's still our body, but it no longer is perishable. Now we'll find out next week that Paul uses the word mystery to describe this. And truly it is. It's not described exactly how it happens. But God is is given the benefit of the doubt that the God who created us and the God who raised Jesus from the dead can truly do that with us. And here's where Paul connects the imperishable body with a spiritual body. So the body that is raised, is a spiritual body. He writes in verse 44, if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And then he uses something that he was was known to use on a number of occasions, and that is to to look at Adam, the first human being, as as kind of the... Our, our first father, so to speak, in terms of our natural body, the first human being who experienced life in a human body. But then he uses Jesus as the first one who on this earth, a person also human, right, fully human, fully God, who also experienced this imperishable life, resurrected life. 
A few weeks ago, when we talked about the first part of chapter 15, I mentioned that there was a phrase in there about Jesus' appearances that you'd want to take note of because it's going to be helpful for you to understand what Paul's saying later on in the chapter. And that is, when Paul said, okay, Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the 12 disciples, and he also appeared... to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And if you were reading along with that, you were saying, wait a minute, hold on, that's a little bit different, isn't it? And yet now we see this is the difference. This is the new thing. This is the transformation of that essence of Jesus' raised body. How do you picture something beyond our imagining? I was putting together uh, photographs for these slides, um, and I chose this photo of a human figure standing on a partially submerged dock in New Zealand. But I chose it not because it has anything to do with the actual text itself, just that it's evocative of the imagination. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. But the Apostle Paul invites us into thinking about the reality of this transformed human essence when we are resurrected from the dead, when death is finally defeated. Why is this important to us? Because it is a fundamental part of the gospel, the good news. It's not always what we want to hear in our culture, but it's what we need to hear. After all of the progress that we have made, death and decay are still a part of our human existence. If the message doesn't get through our experience of aging and the many losses that we grieve along the way, along comes a global pandemic to remind us anew. But the gospel still offers hope of life beyond this life. As a church, like all churches who need to consider their mission, this promise of an imperishable future is something that we can embrace and we can offer to the community in the person of Jesus Christ. It is at the heart of the historic mission of the church And this mission of the church, the mission of this very congregation, is a matter of life and death. Eternity is what we're talking about here. It's in the balance. The resurrection of Jesus has assured our imperishable future. And yet no eye has seen nor mind has conceived what has been prepared by our loving God 